This morning we want to look at what the Bible says concerning the Lord's Supper or the Communion. If you've already looked at the outline, Don tried to point this out in the announcements and did a good job with that. You should have a piece of paper, one side, that has information from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians 11. This is different than the typical sermon outlines. The intent was to put the Bible verses that I'm going to use this morning on paper so you could actually see them. In our study, we want to begin with the far side, the right side of the column. I believe there you can easily find 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. This is a good passage to begin with because Paul said to the Corinthians, he had received of the Lord, or he had received some information from Christ regarding the communion or the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul affirmed that what he had received from the Lord, he delivered, he transmitted, he passed on to the Corinthians. When we think about the Lord's Supper and we look at Jesus' life, we find that this was one of the final things Jesus did before he went to the cross. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, the latter part of the verse, you will find these words. In the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. As you look at life, a lot of times people will pay great attention to the final things that happened before a person died. A person may say, I want to have this conversation with you because I know I'm going to die. Or as we look back at a person's death, we might remember that final conversation that we had with him, maybe in person, maybe by phone, maybe by email. Or we might remember as we think back concerning a person who's died, we might think back to that uh, that last activity that we had with them. Or another person will say, well, I remember that, that final thing that uh, we discussed. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper shortly before his death, and this very fact suggests that it is important. Luke's account of this, if you back up a little bit more in the sheet, second column from the right, Luke's account of this, Luke chapter 22, verse 15, tells us Jesus used the word desire when talking about having the Lord's Supper with his apostles. Now this is an important word. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the Wednesday night class. The word that's translated desire, the first word, it's a noun. And it's a noun that not only means desire, it is a noun that describes a strong desire. It's a noun that describes a strong craving. Have you ever had a craving for something? Have you ever craved a snack? Maybe it was late at night and you thought, I really want some popcorn. I want a candy bar. Or maybe you're a real healthy eater and you're thinking, I crave an orange or an apple. Have we ever craved a certain drink? Have we ever craved having a conversation with somebody? We earnestly, we strongly desired that conversation. Or maybe there was a situation where we felt all alone and we craved companionship. Or maybe it was a situation where we were inside just you know day after day, week after week, month after month during the wintertime. And we looked outside and we were looking for the sun and we craved, we had that earnest desire. We had that longing to finally get outside and enjoy some good weather or could even be a period of rain. We craved for a good day where we could finally go out and not get wet. This is the word Luke uses to say Jesus had a desire. He had a yearning, if you will, to have this Passover meal with his disciples and to institute the Lord's Supper. Then Luke 22, verse 15, after he uses the noun desire, you find the same basic word, but this time, desire is used as a verb. This verb form of this word is the same term that Jesus used in Matthew 5, verse 28. Do you remember there where the Lord talked about a man lusting after a woman? The word that's translated lust in Matthew 5, 28 is the same word, the second 
desire. Uh, this translated in Luke chapter 22, verse 15. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, I lust to have the Lord's Supper with you. He was, however, saying, I have this strong, this earnest, this passionate, this great zeal, this craving, if you will, to have the Lord's Supper with you. Now, why would Jesus, the night before He's betrayed and killed, why would He have had this earnest, this passion, this, passion, uh, this yearning desire to have the Lord's Supper with His people? Well, we're going to see the answer from our sheet. If you're looking at the handout sheet, let's now look over to Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. I'm going to read it from the Bible, and you should be able to follow along there with the sheet you have. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it. And he gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and gave thanks and gave to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. 4, verse 28, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many unto remission of sins. These three verses give us some insight as far as why Jesus desired, Luke 22, verse 15, to have this meal with the apostles. You see, the Lord knew as things were beginning to unfold at this time, at this stage in His life, He knew that things were going to change and change in a big way. You see, for about 1,500 years, the Jewish people had lived under the law of Moses. For more than a 1,000 years, Moses' law had been in effect. For centuries, people had been following that great man known as Moses. Because of sin, people had for uh, more than 1,500 years been killing animals and trying to use that blood to deal with sin. For 15 centuries, the world was able to see that the God of the Bible had a special people, the Jewish people. But Jesus, in looking forward to the cross, He knew that things were going to change. And as He's thinking about it, as He's anticipating that change, He said to his disciples, I desire, I've been yearning for this time. Well, as we think about why the Lord was so enthused about what was going to come, we, as we just read from Matthew 26, verse 28, see there that Jesus set a new covenant, a new agreement. There's going to be a new contract with mankind. And Jesus said, I want you to know that this new agreement, this new contract, it's not going to be signed with pen and ink. It's not going to be a document that somebody has typed up with a computer. Jesus says this document is going to be written in my blood. It's going to be paid for with my blood. It's going to be sealed by my blood. It's going to be based on my blood. By my blood, by my death, I'm going to offer forgiveness of sins and not just to the Jewish people. I'm going to offer remission of sins in the fullest, in the widest, in a worldwide sense. This was so important, so so significant, so radical that it merited a special reminder. What we refer to now as the Lord's Supper or the Communion. And the Lord, as He has His disciples here at the Passover meal, He said to them, I want you to partake of this. I want you to eat this bread, which He described as His body. Then He said, I want you to partake of this cup, which He described or referred to as His blood. The Bible tells us that these men did exactly what He told them to do. After Christianity was instituted, others began to do the same thing. About 2,000 years ago, more than that now, uh, if you want to be a little more precise, people were starting to partake of the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. But you know, there's an interesting thing about mankind. People might start out so well, it's kind of like on the job. People might start out so well, they start doing the job. But as time begins to pass, and maybe as things begin to change a little bit, that job's not always done correctly. People can begin to drift. And that's what happened with the Lord's Supper. There were some, as time arose, false doctrines, erroneous ideas that arose about the Lord's Supper, some of them involving Jesus' body and blood. One of these ideas was that as Jesus described what was going to take place, 
Some came along at a later time and thought that Jesus was talking in literal terms. Some came along and concluded that the Lord's Supper, the participants, not that I'm saying this, not that the Bible teaches this, but some came and concluded that when a person participates in the Lord's Supper, they are literally eating the body of Christ. And the other conclusion was they are literally drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. Probably the most prominent example of this is found in Catholicism. And this faith, if you talk to people who are involved with it, or you read about it, there are different books, you could find this information on the web as well. The belief is that the bread and the body, or uh, the bread and the fruit of the vine, the bread which represents the body, fruit of the vine which represents the blood, uh, Catholic teaching says that these things are changed. They would affirm that the bread may still seem like it's bread, but it's really not. It just has the appearance that it's bread. Well, this idea should never have arisen because of the information that we have in Matthew 26. Let's go back and take a look at the verses, that section that we were just reading. Matthew 26, verse 29. But I say unto you, Jesus said, I shall not drink henceforth of this... What's he saying? Drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Notice, if you will, that Jesus identifies the liquid as the fruit of the vine. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, he says, this is my blood. But then in Matthew 26, verse 29, as he talks about this very same liquid, he does not repeat that information. He now switches and says, this is the fruit of the vine. If you like marginal notes in your Bible, you might want to do a little underlining here and draw an arrow. Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, this is my blood. Well, was that literally true or was that a figurative statement? Matthew 26, verse 29 explains. Jesus says, I'm going to partake of this with you. At the future, what was he going to partake of? Was it going to be the fruit of the vine? Or did he say it was going to be his uh, blood? Well, verse 29 specifically says that it was not going to be his blood. It was still going to be the fruit of the vine. We also should be aware of Luke chapter 22, verse 18 which you can slip over there and see that as well. It's really a restatement of Matthew 26, verse 29. Jesus did not say in Matthew or in Luke's account that he was going to one day drink his blood. Now that's what would be required if the idea proposed by Catholicism is right, but that's not what he said. He said, I'm going to partake of this and I'm going to drink the fruit of the vine. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, the fruit of the vine was, is, and always will be the fruit of the vine. It is not changed into something. It never has been changed into something. Jesus' body, Jesus' blood are not added to the bread. They're not added to the fruit of the vine. Jesus used figurative language to tell us that what he was talking about was going to stand for something. The bread, the fruit of the vine. They represent what was done at the cross. That bread, it represents the body that was given for us. That body was sacrificed. The blood that was given, that represents the blood shed, associated with Jesus' death. Notice what we find in Luke's account of this information. Luke chapter 22, looking at the information in verse 19. You can probably get there a little quicker than I can this morning. Luke 22, verse 19. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave them, saying, For this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. The Lord, as we think about remembering that sacrifice for each one, could have offered a variety of ways to remember it. But instead of coming up with something complex, instead of coming up with something that perhaps some people might not be able to comprehend or carry out, Jesus said, I'm going to offer a simple memorial. I'm going to use elements that can be found anywhere in the world to represent, to stand for what I've done for all humanity. 
In Luke 22, verse 20, if you look at that passage, you'll find that Jesus' blood was literally poured out, shed for others. Mark's account of this, Mark 14, verse 24, says that that blood was shed for many. He knew that not everybody would take of it. But uh, those that are willing to do so, it offers the cleansing benefit from sin. The bread and the fruit of the vine are a lasting memorial for Jesus' sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 11.26, going back to that far right column again, Jesus said this is so important that when you partake of the Lord's Supper, you are doing something which needs to continue, it needs to last, it needs to endure until I return. If you're someone who at least watches the news from time to time, you've probably seen some information about Iraq. And you know right now that there are some Americans, some veterans, who are disturbed about what's taking place in Iraq. There are some people who died in Iraq. There are some people who were wounded in Iraq. There are people who are still suffering some mental and some physical injuries because of Iraq. And now as we have some things as far as unrest occurring in Iraq, there are some individuals who are concerned that the life that was given by the family member, the sacrifice of that arm, the loss of the eye, the loss of the leg, there is, sacri- there is concern about the sacrifices being forgotten or, for, or, or lost. And that's a terrible thing. We make memorials in life so people can remember the sacrifices of others. Jesus is someone who does not want his sacrifice to be forgotten or discarded. The Lord engaged in the greatest battle of all time. Went up against Satan, went up against sin, and he won. He was fully victorious and can now therefore serve as man's Savior. And to make sure that we do not ever forget what he did, the Lord gives us this memorial, this sacrifice. So Paul was able to say in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink the cup, Paul expected the Corinthians to partake of this on a regular manner, just as God has that expectation of us. This memorial is not for a special class of people. It's not for some special priestly class or the people who wear religious robes. But God says this is for my people. This is for the saved. This is for the followers of the Lamb. And in the New Testament, this is what we find associated with Christians. We read about God's people coming together on Sunday. We also read about God's people participating in the Lord's Supper. I didn't include it on the sheet because it's a little separate from our study, but in Acts 20, verse 7, Sunday came. Christians came together on that day, and what did they do? They had the Lord's Supper. Till the Lord comes. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. We are to have the supper and remember what Jesus did. This is God's will. But as we look at humanity, people can become careless as the years and certainly as the centuries pass. In our nation, we've come to a time where we have holidays arise, holidays like Memorial Day, and people say, well, I have no idea what Memorial Day is. Do you know? We've come to a time, I think, probably when when the 4th of July shows up. People would say, well, I I know that fireworks are supposed to be done on that day, but I really don't know, know much else about the 4th. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, we have a memorial that God says, I want you to understand it. So you can carry it out in the right way. There are some people in our time who believe that the Lord's Supper is somehow associated with mysticism. Others have left me and perhaps you with the impression they think that there is power in the juice. If you don't know it, I'll tell you this. Our juice comes from Sam's Club. And there is no power in our juice. No power in the juice. The bread comes from a public store. And it is a store where anybody can go into that store And anybody can buy the bread that we use. The bread remains bread. And the fruit of the vine remains the fruit of the vine. Well, God says to people, I want you to know about the Lord's Supper. 
I want you to be informed about this so you can carry it out. We see this indicated by the word whosoever in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 27. Whosoever is a broad word. It cuts a wide swath. It's wide-ranging enough to include Christians, new and old. When God says whosoever, He's talking about the people in this country and the people outside this country. Whosoever extends to the people in the first century, our time, and until the end of time. Worshiping God is serious business. So God says you need to know about worship and you need to pay attention to what you're doing. We need to be adequately instructed about the Lord's Supper because Jesus says the communion, the Lord's Supper, it is part of the kingdom. Imagine that. The kingdom is associated with the Lord's Supper. Jesus made this association in Matthew 26, verse 29. And not only did Jesus associate the kingdom with the Lord's Supper, He also made a promise. He said, Mark 14, verse 25, which is on your sheet, He said, I'm going to partake of this. I'm going to be with you. When you have the Lord's Supper in the kingdom, I'm going to be there present with you. Then Luke's account of this, Luke chapter 22, verse 18, Jesus said He was going to participate in this when the kingdom came. Well, now that's an interesting point. If the kingdom has come, then the Lord's been participating with us when it comes to the Lord's Supper. If the kingdom is future, then of course this promise has not yet been fulfilled. A lot of people who profess to believe the Bible think that God's kingdom is going to come in the future. But you know the Bible says, and again I didn't put these on the sheet, they're not really uh, the primary point of the lesson, but God says the kingdom has come. God says the kingdom exists now instead of some future time. You may remember that back in the book of Mark, chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus said there's some here, there's some in my day and time, who are standing here, they are present, they are alive right now. And the Lord said you're not going to die until you see the kingdom of God come. In Mark 9, verse 1, Jesus said the kingdom of God was not only going to come to the people in His day and time, He said it was going to come with power. Well, if we start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the promises made about the kingdom, and we continue to read, do we find the promised kingdom? Do we read about power? Yes, we do. Just have to get to the book of Acts, the second chapter. And when the day of Pentecost was now come, the people were filled with the Holy Spirit, there was that wind-like sound, and they were filled with the Spirit and began to do some mighty things. That, there was that power. The kingdom did come. Well, Jesus said, I'm going to partake of the Lord's Supper with you in the kingdom. When's He doing that? He's doing that now. He started to do that about 2,000 years ago. Jesus is with His people when it comes to weekly worship. And He expects us to have the Lord's Supper in that weekly worship so He can be with us throughout the service and especially during that time. Imagine being invited to participate in a kingdom, a great, a glorious kingdom. But with that invitation, we fail to participate in a good way. Would that not be the height of rudeness? Can we imagine someone going to the White House and misbehaving? Standing up on the table, not listening to the uh, person that's leading the thing, you know, uh, nasty table manners. People have better sense than that, even in the way that people have, you know, kind of uh, degraded themselves too. If we are invited to a formal dinner, a formal meal, there is appropriate behavior. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, we're in God's house. First Timothy three verse fifteen. The Corinthians, First Corinthians eleven, they were in God's house, not as far as a physical structure, but in the church. And Paul said, you're not behaving well in God's house. You're not participating in the Lord's Supper in a worthy way. And Paul said, that's not right. God is not pleased. They were also making some mistakes in other aspects of the worship. So when we come to 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 30, Paul spoke about the Lord's Supper. He said, this is serious business. In fact, everything about worship is serious. God tells us to approach the Lord's Supper and every other aspect of worship in a reverent manner. There has to be that self-examination. 1 Corinthians 11:28. We need to discern. We need to think about what we're doing. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. 
If we decide to get sloppy in God's house when it comes to things like the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 30 says, watch out. Because God will inflict, um, or at least can inflict, the kinds of things He did upon the Corinthians. Now some good people. Some very good people have been scared by what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 27 to 30. But you know, there is no reason to be frightened. There is no reason to be terrified by what Paul wrote. People simply know need to know God's rules. Follow them and everything is fine. God knows. He tells us that we're not going to be perfect people. There is no basis for thinking. No basis whatsoever for thinking, well, you see, last Thursday I sinned and now I'm unworthy and I'm not going to partake of the Lord's Supper. If we think we need to be sinless to partake of the Lord's Supper, we will never partake of it. We'll never make it. Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, if you look carefully at how the ASV translate this, translates this, it's helpful. He condemns the wrong manner. Not saying that we're uh, sinless, but the manner. Paul says, do not take of it in an unworthy manner. One of the great privileges of being a Christian is being able to participate in the Lord's Supper. When we do that, when we come together on His day, the Lord's day, the first day of the week, He's with us, as He promised. As we learned from a recent class in Revelation, He's walking among His people, Revelation chapter 1. He is the head of the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Because He's the head of the church, when the church meets, when the church assembles, the church honors Him with the Lord's Supper and He is present. What a privilege, what a joy, and what an honor to be in the presence of Christ and honor Him. It is a great honor and a joy to worship Jesus in this life. But imagine the privilege, imagine the honor, and imagine the joy of having fellowship with Him for eternity. The Lord wants to have fellowship with us now on a regular basis. But He also wants to have that eternal, that lasting, that full fellowship in every sense throughout eternity. Are we on the road? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Are we on the right road to have fellowship ongoing with Christ in this life and then to have that eternal fellowship? Well, we can answer that question very easily. Are we one of a people? Are we one of his people? Have we believed? Have we repented? Have we confessed him as the Lord of all? And have we been baptized into him and are we walking faithfully? If not, he wants us to have fellowship with us. If we've had that fellowship in the past and that's been broken, he wants that restored. So the God who came, died for us, the one that we refer to as Jesus, the Son. He wants us to be in a right relationship for us. He wants that for us. He opens up his hands for us and says, if you're not right with me, will you come? And will you not come now? as we stand and sing the selected song.